Good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Jackson. Um, <laughs> uh, would you please stand for the scripture reading today? Today we're reading from Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would you remain standing as we pray? Lord, it is all about you. You are sovereign. You are totally holy, holy, holy. Lord, would you forgive us for selfishness that we have in, in thinking about our own self before you? Because, Lord, it's all about you. You are sovereign and holy, and, Lord, you are good. So we pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people shouted. Amen. Wow. Amen. You may be seated. Today is a message about the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God. I'll talk about this now, and then we'll, as we conclude the sermon, I'll talk about it a little then as well. But I think as the church, I think I know I'm guilty of this. I imagine others are guilty of this as well, as of just coming to church and kind of saying, how, what's going to happen today at church? How, how am I going to be kind of entertained? I think we live in a culture that's very just, inter like, how's the, how, what's, you know, what's the church going to do to entertain me? How good is the coffee going to be at this particular church? Uh, what's the music? Gonna, are they going to sing the kind of music that I like to hear? And that's just, I, I'm guilty of that as well, of just thinking through a, a church service and being honestly a little selfish, like, oh, it's all about me. Or to think as a church leader, as I'm a pastor, uh, to think, oh, how can we entertain those that come in? How can we, you know, how can the preacher preach a little better to entertain people? And, and that, that makes it about us. It makes it about me. And it's not about that. It is all about the Lord. How can we serve him? How can we worship him? To encourage you, I, I see this every week. People get here before I get here. I think of Justin Beto, and I think of people like Tony Mobley and Dan Peek. They're here setting up. I think of Dan Glass, who's running the camera right now. I think of the Woods, who pray over the services. I think of people who are downstairs right now, Melissa and his Meredith down there, and Dominique, and Heidi's usually here. The serving at our kids ministry. I think of a small church like this that's kind of new and there's so many people serving and serving and serving. I think about the Merkleys who serve. I think just people come to serve the Lord and to worship him. And so I just want to encourage you and say, well done. I don't think people come here to New Life Manor too because the coffee's good or because we have a cool light show. I think as a church, we've set up precedent that, that we're really here to worship the Lord. The songs that we choose, the passages we preach on, the, the sermon topics that just kind of flow out of us, flow out of me, are some of, let's celebrate the Lord's sovereignty. Eugene Peterson, do you guys know, anybody know who Eugene Peterson is? He's uh, wrote or translated the message translation of the Bible. He's a kind of a hero in the faith for me. He writes a lot about pastoral ministry and he's kind of a pastor to pastors. He wrote his memoir, the story of his life. And he, at the end of his book, comes to this realization, kind of someone kind of makes it for him and kind of teases him. And then they say, really, you just have one uh, 
you just have one sermon. I think it's a son that kind of makes this, this realization is that all pastors really only have one sermon. And sure, we talk about different subjects. Sure, we talk, talk about different passages. But there's usually just one theme that, that a pastor will just keep talking about. And I think, and maybe you would be a better judge of, uh, of me as you've listened to me throughout the weeks. But one of the things, one of the themes that I just can't help talk about every Sunday, it just comes up in some way, is that the Lord is sovereign and that we are gathered not for us, but for him and him alone. And he is holy and we are but his creation. We are his people. So today, let's get right into the text. We are in a sermon series on Romans chapter 11. Extra credit for all those that brought their Bibles. How many of you bring a paper Bible? A couple people. Oh, look at all. Good. Okay. Some people bring paper Bibles. I know I'm guilty of bringing an electronic Bible, but I still bring it. Um, so turn with me or we'll put it on the screen of Romans chapter 11. The very first point this morning is, is simple, four words, his paths, his mind. And so we'll read here in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. It says, as Jackson read for us, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Pause and think about that. The depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths, the things that he does, the ways of the Lord, his paths beyond tracing out, exclamation point. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? God is beyond figuring out. We can't figure him out. I had a, a seminary professor years ago. I was at Fuller Seminary. There's a branch here. Then I had to go out to L.A. Uh, to Pasadena where the main headquarters is located. I had a professor named Charlie Scalise. You can Google him. He's kind of a, a name within theology. And I had the honor of being in some of his classes. If you Google a picture of him, he looks just like the Monopoly man. Just smiley, bald head, big mustache. Instead of a cane, he carries a around a coffee cup. And this guy was, he was a little hyper to say the least. He would carry around his coffee cup and he would say, I think I've told you this before. He would say, I'm from Seattle and any legal form of caffeine is allowed in this class. And then he'd laugh like, ah, <laughs> and we just look at him as like, are you serious? Right? Like you are hyper, but I enjoy it. Like he was just a good teacher. He taught well. And he taught, uh, the first time I had him was for, uh, systematic theology, Number one, so, so looking at the ways and the systems of theology, how can we set up systems by which we can study God? How can we set up systems by studying things in the Bible in all of theology? So I took this class and it was wonderful. He's my favorite professor and he would kind of get us as a class following, you know, the, some, some of the systems of systematic theology and say, oh, well, this verse says this and we get into groups and say, oh, that, yeah, that verse says this and this verse says this. So, so we kind of got it figured out and we high five each other. So we, we got, we got it figured out. We got God figured out. We, we, we got it. We we're, we're good. We were this little group. We just, you know, figured it out. And he would kind of just tease us. He'd say, Oh, so you, so you've got God figured out. Do you? And say, yeah, we got, you know, this verse says this and you know, we figured it out and he would just kind of play with us. Uh, and he would say, well, well you got, since you got God figured out, he's kind of like in a box. You got him figured out, right? He's in a box. And we are like, Oh no, where's this going? Where's this going? And he would lead us in this thought pattern, this philosophy of, if we think we have God all figured out, if we, if we, here we are, we, we got God in this box and here's how God works and we got it all figured out. Then he would lead us in this conversation that, that really just said, well, actually we don't have anything about God figured out because God
God is not a God that's in a box. And if, if that's the, 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 if that's where this, you know, this system of theology has led us to, that God is in a box, well then, then we must be wrong. We must go, go back to square one and start retalking about the things that we figured out. Why? Because the depths and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is God to you? He's like, well, uh, who's God? Who is the God you worship? Is the God you worship the God of the Bible, the God that has revealed himself through his son, Jesus, who died on the cross? Is that the God you worship? Or is the God you worship uh, a God that you have made up in your imagination? Like some of the things that I hear sometimes, especially from non-Christians or especially from people who kind of kind of say they're a Christian and kind of not, they'll say things like, well, I could never believe in a God that would blank. I would never believe in a God that would do this or that. And so my God that I believe, you hear people saying this, right? Like, whoa, how unsearchable his ways and searchable his judgments and how uh, his paths are beyond tracing out. And, and people say, well, you know, my God that I worship is like this and like that. And it's like, well, where did you get that? Well, I got that from, I mean, if they're honest, they would say, well, it's because that's the God that I want to worship. It's the God that that, that um, I think of the ancient world, like the Greek, the Roman cultures, even before that, had all these different gods. And so whatever was important in life to, to, to people, whether it was uh, fertility or the harvest or storms or the ocean or war, whatever it was, people would worship these individual gods and make idols of these things and, and worship individual things and say, you know, this God is like this. And if I do this, then he will grant me this, which will lead us in a second to our next topic. But I don't want to believe in a God that, that, that I have made up. The God that we believe in has revealed himself through Jesus. The God of the Bible is one that in this passage says his ways are beyond our ways. His paths are beyond tracing out. We don't want to worship a God that fits our ways. We don't want a, to worship a God that, um, I, th I think, I hear this all the time. People are like, well, I, I want to worship a God that makes me happy. I want to worship a God that, that wouldn't let this happen or that bad thing happen. I want to worship a God that, that, and then they make things up about God. It's like, no, the, the Lord is the Lord. He is holy and he is sovereign. The next point here is, who has ever given to God? And that's exactly what this verse says. Verse 35 in, in chapter 11 of a Romans says, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? And, and surely we can give to God. We can give to God sacrifices and offerings and we can give to God. But the second part of this question makes it pretty clear. Who's ever given to God that God should repay them? Anybody? No, the, the answer here is, is, is no, no way. No one has ever given to God that God should repay them. I think about this analogy that I've given before about the bigness of God. How can we even begin to think about how big God is? Well, well maybe a, a, just a, a glimpse, and it's just a tiny sliver of a glimpse of the bigness of God is to consider the creation that we live in, the, the world we live in. And um, the, the analogy that, that I've given before, I'll give a very brief one now, is that if I had a soccer ball, what's a soccer ball, like about this big, and this soccer ball represented the sun. 
sun, okay? And if the, this, the sun was this big, well, then the earth would be like a small little rock. I picked this up on the way here. Uh, this is like a peppercorn size of a rock. Can you even see that? And so if I had the sun right here, and it was the size of a soccer ball, well, then the earth would be a peppercorn about 27 yards away. I don't know where that is. Maybe like the end of the room. I'll just, I'll just kind of roll it out there. Don't trip on it on the way out. Did you hear it? So it's in the back of the wall. So let's just say that's 27 yards. I'm not a football player, so I don't, uh, I don't know exactly where 27 yards is. But the, the end of the building, somewhere around 27 yards, right? Am I crazy? The back door. Okay, the back door. Okay, throw it down the stair. Okay, it's a bit down there, back of the stairs. Oh, we got the ballpark. So I'm holding the sun up here. The, the, the earth is somewhere in elliptical orbits, uh, orbit spinning around the sun. And then the next closest star, I was thinking about this last night, uh, going through the sermon, looking out a window and seeing stars. I think I saw Jupiter and, and stars. I, don't, I didn't have my telescope. I have a telescope. But you just consider like, wow, the stars, there must be thousands of stars. And then you get out someplace like beyond where there's light pollution. And you look up and you're like, wow, there isn't thousands of stars. There's probably millions of stars. And then you like set up a telescope telescope and you look even into the dark zones of the sky and you're like, wow, there's actually stars that aren't visible with the naked eye, but you could see them with the telescope. We're not talking about thousands or millions. We're talking about billions. Like that's a number, like look at the stars. Wow. And so the next closest star to our star, which is the sun, uh, is Proximus. Who said it? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a Proxima Centauri, Alpha Centauri. I think it's the same star. Is the closest star. It means that the close one. And so if I had a soccer ball right here, and this this way is west, right? Okay. Um, ish. And, and the Earth is that way. We would we would go beyond the Earth, obviously, go beyond the planets, and we could debate whether Pluto is a planet or not, and bring that up and get everybody mad, and then keep going west with a softball, a softball smaller than a soccer ball, uh, maybe roughly around the seventh of the, of the size of our sun is this next star, Proxima Centauri, and you would keep walking west until you're like all the way past Manitou, and you look back and you can't even see the soccer ball anymore. Then you would walk up... Pass and keep walking beyond what Divide and Florissant and Lake George, and you'd keep walking west until you couldn't even see Manitou anymore. And you keep walking west until you reach the next state, which is Utah, and you keep walking west until you reach the next state, Nevada, and then you hit California and the coast, and you get on a boat with this little softball, and you go into the ocean past Hawaii, closer to Japan than Hawaii, and that's where the next closest star sits. Wow. And think the Lord is the creator of all. If that's not a small glimpse into, wow, the, the earth is just a creation. And, and we look up in the sky and like, wow, the, the Lord is truly sovereign. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? No, like God is ultimate and he's huge and he's holy and he's mighty and his ways are not our ways. I think about, um, the, in this passage, uh, sometimes people get into uh, the, the very dangerous heresy of the prosperity gospel. And how that sometimes plays out is this, that, that if they do something good for God and they, you know, they have these certain prayers and do these certain things, well, then God has to repay them with, uh, usually it comes in the form of wealth or health. Or it's like, well, God owes them. You know, God owes them because they have prayed these prayers because they 
uh, they have done these things. Well, then God has to pay them back. And it's like, no, God doesn't have to repay anyone. No one has ever given to God that God should repay them. I think about that passage in Isaiah. You could turn to it later. Isaiah 45, 9 begins this talk about a, 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 a person who's making something out of clay, the, the potter and the clay. And it, it talks about how we are just but potsherds of the clay. And I was like, what's up? I had to look that up. It's like a crumb of clay that's fallen to the ground. And the potter is making these beautiful things out of the clay. But what right does the clay have to say to the potter, you know, what are you doing? Why are you making me? It's, it's the, the, the sovereignty of the Lord. Think about like you making something and, and this thing speaking up and saying, what are you doing? It's like, well, I could do whatever I want. I, I am the one making things out of clay as it is with the Lord. The Lord is not only sovereign, but he is good. And so we think about this image, oh, a potter, he's like a mean guy making things and not allowing his, his pottery to talk. Well, well, that's part of his sovereignty, but the other part is also his goodness. This is directly taken, uh, this quote, who has ever given to God that God should repay him. That's a quote taken from, do you know where it's at? If you look, it's not really a secret. In your Bible, it's usually like a little letter, then down at the bottom of the page is where that reference is. What book does it come from, anybody? Job, yes, I heard it. Okay, so it comes from the book of Job, this wonderful book of the Bible that's very interesting, very confusing. It was the second book of the Bible that I ever read, uh, and the first book of the Bible I ever read was Ecclesiastes. Talk about, like, you're supposed to start with the Gospel of John. Like, if anybody ever comes and tells you, asks you, like, hey, what book? I've never read the Bible, new to this whole thing. What book of the Bible should I read? Don't tell them Ecclesiastes or the book of Job, but that's what I did. I had a friend in high school that just happened to be reading those books, and he was like, why don't you read what I'm reading? We'll talk about it. I was like, great, great idea. And so I read some very hard, very confusing books, like the book of Job, where Job is this character who suffers and suffers and suffers some more, and he does not curse God, and his friends come to him, three friends, and, and they get rebuked at the end, so they're wrong. They're, they, they say, Job, you must have done something wrong because God repaying you for the bad thing you've done. And God, in the end of this, this book, shows up, which, which says a lot about the God we worship, that he is the one who comes to those who are suffering. He shows up and he speaks in, in Job chapter 38. After 37 chapters of Job's friends and seeing Job's life fall apart and his, his suffering, the Lord shows up and the Lord speaks. And it's all about the sovereignty of the Lord. The Lord shows up and he basically says, I don't need to defend myself? Where were you when I formed the world? You know, where were you when I said this far, the, the waters of the ocean may come and no further? Where were you when I, when I made these big creatures and things that could take your life from you? Where were you? I am the sovereign one is what the Lord says. And so he shows up and he says he's beyond figuring out. I think about the, the sovereignty and the goodness of our father that we worship. I think about, uh, I, I have four little boys. I think about leading them through things sometimes. I was thinking about uh, a couple months ago, we went to this, uh, like the YMC has this water park, and we went to the water park, and there's like this kid thing where there's like water squirting from every angle and buckets dumping and noises, and just pretty scary to, pretty fun, but pretty scary to, to kids. And so I had my little boys, and they're looking at it like, whoa, that's scary. And they're kind of, they don't swim that much, so they're just a little, you know, timid around the water, and they've got this water park thing that they can go through, and there's buckets 
buckets and noises and water squirting and water slides. And I asked Rowan and Jay, do you want, you guys want to go? And they're like, no, they're looking at this thing like, no way, that's scary. But Max, who kind of just, he sees the scariness of it, but he also just trusts his dad. He, Max was like, yeah, I, w- I want to do it. And so he jumps up and I hold him and I walk through this gauntlet of water, you know, torture through this thing. And it was just a kid. It was just like, but I could tell he was clutching me and he's scared to death. And I said, do you want to turn back? And he said, no, he he wanted because he trusted me. And I think like it is with our heavenly father, he knows our ways. He knows what's at the end. He knows the paths and they're beyond us figuring out, but he knows them and he's sovereign and he is good. The last point is this. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm taking it directly from the scripture here, from him, through him, and for him. Uh, it's often quoted uh, for, for, for him, excuse me, uh, from him, through him, and to him, or unto him. It's the same Greek word there that just means the whole direction of everything is unto God. It says, for from him, and through him, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Think about the most important thing in the world, the most important thing in our lives, the the one and only thing should be about God. Why? Well, because it's all about him. It's all from him and through him and and for him and to him. It's all about him. There's a famous saying, uh, I'm not sure who made it up originally, but it says, you know, keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Well, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing and to be all about one thing, to be about the big things in our life and not to let the details uh, get in. There's this analogy, I'm not sure who originally came up with it, but there's like a jar here. And so you see the jar and next to the jar is like this huge pile of rocks and sand and dirt. And, and, and the, the goal is to get the huge pile of sand and rock and dirt into the jar. And you just look at it. You're like, no way. It can't be done. There's, there's, it looks like there's the pile of rocks and dirt is bigger than the jar. But the trick is, have you seen this before? I've, I've seen like live analogies of this being played out. It's beautiful because you're like, no way will that pile fit into there. But sure enough, it does. If you take the big ones first, if you fill your life with the most important things. You get the biggest rocks and you put them in first. Then the medium-sized rocks kind of shift down and work their way in. And then the smallest, tiniest pebbles and and the sand goes in last. And it really just works its way in. You're like, wow, that's amazing that that can all fit into a jar. All these things can fit into a life if we make the most important thing, which for us is God. If we make him the most important thing, then, then he is added first and all other things later. I had a teacher in uh, high school. Her name was Mrs. Billings. And she was just all about uh, saying, like, what's the one thing you're going to live for? She wasn't a Christian. She's somewhat secular. But her life advice was really good advice for high schoolers that that are just often doing, you know, all kinds of things and all kinds of different activities and, and life and friends and all these things. And her thing was be about one thing. Find the one thing in your life and be about that one thing. And she said, you, you want to hear the story I have told? And, 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 and yeah, well, let's hear the story. And she said, well, I knew this kid that she used to teach. And she taught in the Department of Defense schools. So she's taught in American schools in Germany. That's where I went to high school. And she said, years ago, she taught this student who is all about one thing. 
And this, this kid's thing was basketball. It's like all about one thing. And for us as Christians, we have something a little better than basketball to live for. But her analogy is one that stuck with me. She said, I knew this kid that was just all about one thing. It's kind of where she kind of began to, to teach this as a teacher. She saw this kid that was just all about one thing. He would just carry around a basketball with him wherever he went. He would just kind of dribble like during class. And he's like, stop dribbling. And, and it was the kind of kid that referred to the teachers as coach. Like, all right, coach, sorry, coach. Stop calling me coach. I'm your teacher. Oh, sorry, coach. I mean, uh, coach. Uh, like he just couldn't get basketball out of his mind. He, he said, this teacher said, Mrs. Billing said she would, uh, this, this kid would carry around a backpack and put extra books in it just to kind of work out as he walked. And he carried a basketball and he was always thinking about basketball plays. And just that's all he was about was basketball, basketball, basketball. And she, and she said, well, guess what? This guy was, was the lead basketball player of the high school and he just kept that up. He was all about this one thing. And, and she said, he, then he played for college and, and now he plays for the NBA. Do you want to know his name? And we're like, yeah, what's his name? Who did you teach way back in the day? And she said, well, it was Shaquille O'Neal. And we were like, whoa, I mean, this is the 90s. So we're like, whoa, he's the coolest guy ever. Like, and she said, that's the strength. That's the power of just being about one thing. And in my head, it was like, it was, I thought it was probably also about how tall he was. But, but anyways, the, the point, <laughs> the point stuck with me. And I was like, yeah, be, be about one thing. And this was when I was new to being a Christian. And I just thought, yeah, my one thing is, is infinitely more important than basketball. My one thing in my life is the Lord, is, is the sovereignty of the Lord. It's all about God. It's all about him. I think about, as I said in the beginning, uh, about church and who we are. And I think about uh, the, the ways of church. And I think about our society being you know, consumeristic. I think about our society being uh, one that's self-seeking and, and just wants what we want and we want it now. And we could usually have it. Like we're, we're, we see impulses and the things we want and we get them. And I think, you know, what a wonderful thing to be a church that has simplified things. What a wonderful thing to, to be a church that has, um, the, the, the main thing is the Lord. And I, I, I see people sometimes write, um, what, what bugs me is not uh, outsiders, like non-Christians looking into the church and saying, oh, the church is this and church is that. That's, you know, that's just people looking in and seeing something. But, but what bugs me as, as a Christian and, and what should maybe bug you is, is when our fellow Christians look at the church and they say, the, these churches have it all wrong. These churches need to be more relevant. Have you heard this? Like, oh, churches need to be more relevant. Churches need to do things better. It's like, oh, churches use, you know, their, their graphics need to, you know, they need to be more relevant. Their music needs to be more relevant if they're going to reach the world and if they're going to do this and that. And, and some of that might be true. I mean, I'm not the guy that's against a good cup of coffee or uh, good worship songs. I'm, I'm not that guy that's anti, you know, the, these things we do in church or doing them well, but, but the emphasis of some of those things is like, well, then is it, is it all about you then? Is it all about us that we're looking at church saying, how can the church serve me when it should be all about how can we gather 
And how can we worship the Lord? Think about the reason we planted New Life Manitou. Our our mission statement, our vision statement is to be a faithful people of God in Manitou Springs on the west side. To be a faithful people of God who act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. And how are we going to do that? Like, how, how, How does that even begin to work? If you were around with us a year ago when we were just meeting weekly, what we kept talking about New Life's uh, the three words, worship, connect, serve. We said, well, how are we going to do this? Well, first and foremost, in Manitou, let's just get people together and let us worship the Lord. Well, why? Well, because it's all about him and it's not about us. And when we gather and we worship, well, then the Lord is going to move and he's going to work, but it's all about him. And it's as we are worshiping him and giving him all the glory, well, then people will come in. They'll say, wow, this, this God you worship, he must be really real to you. And we'd say, yes, it's all about him. And the verse here is for from him and through him and to him or for him are all things Praise to him, to be, to him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And Lord, we we first and foremost come before you, all of us. Um, Lord, would you forgive us? Forgive me of selfishness. Forgive me of thinking about myself more than you. Forgive me for being about myself when, Lord, it's all about you. It's you are the one thing that, that we should be living for. You are the one thing, the, the one whom we're trying to please. Lord, you are the one who takes us by the hand. And, and Lord, we don't know the paths. We don't know your ways. They're beyond figuring out. They're beyond tracing. But you're the one that leads us by the hand like a good, awesome father. You're the one leading us and, and moving things away like in the, in the a dark, wooded area. You're the one taking the branches, moving them to the side, and saying, follow me. And we don't know in the end where it's going to lead. We don't know your past. We don't know what's after this life, but you're leading us saying, come with me. You are the God who has destroyed death. You conquered the grave. And Lord, we only know that if we're with you, then we are with the one who is sovereign and holy and awesome. So Lord, all praise be to you. You are holy, holy, holy. You are awesome and sovereign and good. We praise your name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to together say uh, a prayer of confession. We, we usually end these services in unison in, in, in a corporate setting, saying and praying words together. So if you would, would you say this prayer with me? It says, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.